My journey as a Superman fan started with a tattered red cape blowing in the wind. That ending rocketed me forward like a red-blue blur through a decade-long origin story and poignant tales of self-discovery and fatherhood, and backwards to the character's very beginnings. Now, on this podcast, we journey together across time and media to examine the stories that have defined the Man of Steel. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss JLA, Rock of Ages, and Final Crisis, both written by Grant Morrison, is my longtime friend and first-time guest, Ralph Puma. Welcome, buddy. Hey, what's going on? I'm so happy to have you here. It's been a while since we were able to connect in, in any capacity, let alone on a podcast. So thank you for, for making an appearance here. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is awesome. I've been very excited. I did my research. I've listened to every episode, so I'm ready. I can't thank you enough for that. And you were texting me as you were binging the episodes to date of Digging for Kryptonite. I guess that was towards the end of 2021 where you where you started going through them. Yep. That's a lot. I really appreciate it. I'm curious, and I don't ask this, honestly, in a self-serving way, but I'm curious, like, listening to all of them, especially in a concentrated amount of time, <laughs> I don't know, did any any themes or trends emerge that you were surprised by or that just stood out? I'm just so curious to consume it like that. That's a big question. So I listen to all of my podcasts on like one and a half to two times speed. Um, and so it's just so nice. It was, I, I almost got like this download of it, the entirety of Superman's history, just listening to you and Rich discuss like the older issues. It, it was, it was really a beautiful thing. I completely enhanced my perception of Superman. Um, I know that All-Star Superman isn't necessarily one of your favorites, but like taking in all of that and then reading All-Star Superman again recently, I just love that like hyper version of Superman. <laughs> Sorry, I'm <laughs> Yeah. No, no, no. I I get what you're saying and and I when Rich and I did that Silver Age episode, I did reread all-star superman even though it wasn't obviously a big part of our conversation and i even in that i got a lot more out of it than i had previously and when i devote more airtime to all-star superman in the future that's coming uh, mm -hmm. i i suspect it'll it'll be a similar experience and i hope that i'll i'll have an even an even more enhanced appreciation for it so yeah seeing the way all of these things feed off of each other has been a real highlight but, for me certainly but you should be proud you really I, I don't think anything else out there has captured as much of this character's journey and what he stands for as much as this podcast has. I think anyone who's ever going to want to write Superman should reference this. <laughs> like, I think it's important. I think you've done something great here. Well, I really appreciate that. There are, there are a ton of great podcasts and others that do take sort of an expansive view of the character. So I, I, I can't take too much credit. There's a lot of great ones out there, okay. but thank you very much. I, that means a lot. And honestly, uh, I really appreciate those kind words and all of your support over the years. I want to publicly thank you. You know, your, I've used your music. You have graciously allowed me to use your music because you, in addition to being a musician, you're also a photographer and a filmmaker. Uh, but uh, you've allowed me to use your music in, in all of my projects over the years. And that's, uh, it's been a massive help. So I want to thank you very much for that. And for people who want to check out any of your stuff, what's the best place for them to go? Uh, you could just type in Ralph Puma on Spotify, Apple. I'm on all of the, the streaming services. I'm going to be releasing some new music soon. So, you know, follow me, Instagram. It's all just Ralph Puma. All right. Very cool. easy to find everywhere. Uh, mostly easy. I used to be 
like right up front in Google, and then they released like a Ralph Lauren Puma combination, and now I'm erased from the internet. So. <laughs> <laughs> and you and I have a, a comic shop connection at the at the inception of our friendship because we met through our old comic shop, the late great Alternate Realities in Scarsdale, New yep. York. Both working there. I mean, I worked there for many years. You had a shorter tenure, but that was yes. how we, that's how we met, right? Was uh, breaking down the shipment on a Wednesday morning back in the day? Yeah, pretty much. Like that was, um, like it was like something extra I was doing from the bakery because I wasn't really in school or anything. So Wednesdays, instead of working at the bakery, I got to go and work with Steve. And during that time period, I was also like with my friends and doing like senior parties for the first time. <laughs> it just, I couldn't do the two jobs and the partying and it was a whole thing but i really like loved my time there i learned so much about the industry i learned so much from steve and just his presence there and meeting you and like connecting in that way and it's you're one of those like friendships that like makes like this whole fate and life thing interesting because you came out it was almost like out of the blue you were like hey can i use your music for this documentary i'm making i was like i'm just finishing up film school so it's like really cool like how we've always managed to align in that way yes for sure no i'm so glad that we had that comic shop meeting and that we've kept in touch it's it's definitely been a a friendship that i value very very much so we're here to talk about this pair of grant morrison works jla rock of ages from the 90s JLA series, issues 10 through 15, written by Grant Morrison, drawn by Howard Porter. And then the 2008 Final Crisis event, again, written by Morrison, drawn by J.G. Jones, Carlos Pacheco, and Doug Mankey. And I believe we're both working off of the same volume. I have the Final Crisis trade paperback. That's the, I suppose, the expanded version. It has the the main seven-issue miniseries. It also has the two-part Superman Beyond miniseries, the submit one shot and two issues from Morrison's Batman run. And they're all inserted in their intended reading order to, in theory, give you the complete version of the story. Was that the one that you were reading from too? That is the one. All right, great. So I had you on for this. A, I wanted to connect with you and B, you are one of the two biggest Grant Morrison fans. I know the other one being our mutual friend and past guest, uh, Mike San Gregorio. Uh, but yep. Mike's been on the show a bunch, and I wanted to, you know, kind <laughs> of wanted to share the spotlight and bring you on to talk about Morrison. I'll I'll be honest, I I guess I have some mixed feelings, and I'm a little there's a little bit of trepidation about doing this episode. Whenever I talk Morrison, I always feel a little bit out of my depth, especially when I'm talking to someone like you or Mike, who is so immersed in the works of Grant Morrison. You've done so much reading and and so put so much thought into what Morrison is is trying to put forth with their work. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other aspect too is for all the other episodes I've done, I feel like I've come into this with more with more of a take. Not even necessarily anything groundbreaking, but I've come into other episodes with hopefully a measure of passion and, and certainly a, a strong opinion one way or the other. I It's kind of hard to say where I land on, on this. Uh, but we're here to to kind of work through it all together, and I suspect that the people listening to this, you know, might you know might identify with what we're talking about. These are not Final Crisis in particular, not necessarily the easiest work to digest. No, it it really it really really isn't. Um, the JLA run is almost a like a mirror image to this Final Crisis run, and 
infinitely more digestible than what this is. You have someone's earlier work in comparison to something later on when they're almost kind of falling out of mainstream comics as well. And people are kind of looking to them to bring these like indie, like heady comic books and to balance that kind of perspective of themselves and this massive event. It's a, it's a, it's a big, big task that he took on and it's a, it's a it's a massive book and the first time i read final crisis i'll be honest i hated it i didn't understand it i was 19 um i was so in love with like jeff john's green lantern at the time and everything else that was going on in the industry and excited for the you know barry coming back and jeff john's writing that and it was a different time and over the years as i learned more about morrison I hadn't touched this book. I hadn't touched this. I hadn't touched RIP. I haven't even touched those old JLAs, which are kind of right at the beginning of when I started reading. So sitting down with this, I have such a new perspective on it. And it's not, I don't hate it anymore, but I don't love it. But there are bits of it that I absolutely love. (laughs) I honestly, even though our, the level of love that we have for Morrison, I think we're, we're on, we're in different places, but I agree with, with so much of what you said and just as a side note i guess in the recent years morrison announced that that they go by the the they them pronoun so we'll do our best to uh, adhere to that in this episode and apologies if, if either of us slips up at any point certainly not uh, intentional but thank, thank you for the reminder i'm so kind of out of touch with comics and the culture and everything right now i had been too and when i did I did a couple of episodes of a different podcast, my comic shop book club last year with, with Mike San Gregorio. And we talked about Morrison's new X-Men run. And he was the one that thankfully he clued me in on that. I was not aware of that myself. So, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll do our best to, to stick with that. I'll also say this. I, I really debated for this episode going with uh, bourbon or coffee and I landed on coffee. I, I went with the coffee, but I don't know. I've even, even as I was pouring the coffee, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Cause the, yeah, no, go ahead. You don't want, you don't want to like, do it, it's the debate of, do you want to change your senses in any way? So like, should I have, should I have smoked? Should I have drink? Should I have had like extra water? So like it's, you never know like what kind of toxin you're putting in your body is how it's going to affect a book like this. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I won't lie amongst the sort of the inner circle at the comic shop over the years when we would talk about Morrison's works, maybe probably this one uh, at some point, but certainly other works of, of theirs, we would often joke that we would understand it more and probably enjoy it more if we were on whatever Morrison were on when they were writing it. I've never, I've never gone that far, but I wonder there might be something to that. I, I, let me share this too. The, one of the inspirations for this episode and for doing this episode now this is not a Snyderverse episode of the podcast per se, but the, the Zack Snyder Justice League uh, edition really did play a big role in this. Certainly for anyone who's seen Zack, Snyder, Zack Snyder's Justice League, and we talked about it on the podcast a lot, Darkseid and the New Gods play a large role in the story and were intended to play an even larger role in the two follow-up movies that Snyder, at least as of yet, hasn't been able to make. We'll see what transpires over these next years, especially with this discovery uh, AT&T deal that's being worked on now. But uh, in, in any event, the this whole idea of Darkseid subjugating Earth with the anti-life equation 
has been present on my mind, especially since watching Zack Snyder's Justice League just about a year ago. We're coming up on the one-year anniversary of that. As you and the audience knows, I recently came off this big rewatch of Superman the Animated Series, and we spent an entire episode talking about the New Gods arc involving Darkseid and Apocalypse and his search for the anti-life equation and, and all that. And then the, the sort of the final piece of the puzzle was on Thanksgiving, Snyder posted, uh, you might, you're likely aware of this, but he had posted a video, a uh, Thanksgiving video, and it had his turkey and everything. And in the background, <laughs> just visible, it was there, you know, it wasn't prominent, but it was there. And he knows that people look for stuff. So I'm, I'm sure it was intentional, but it was a copy of the Final Crisis omnibus with a notebook on top, I guess, giving a, a hint of maybe what he might be drawing some inspiration from moving forward. So that just kind of got the wheels turning. And I'm like, oh, this would be a fun episode to do. And I have a lot more Morrison coverage planned for the future, most likely next year. But I thought it would be fun to tackle this pair of works that do work hand in hand. And I thought it would give us uh, some fun, some fun fodder for discussion. So that's sort of where all of this came from. So you said that these sort of bookended Rock of Ages and Final Crisis sort of bookended your monthly comic book reading and buying. Was that the case? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I had one of my first comics was, I think, Nightwing number two, uh, the one with Kyle Rayner from Lost that they always use with the polar bears. Um, the, so it was that era of comics that I kind of jumped in. And so I didn't really know writers at the time. I just knew this was the Justice League. Kyle Rayner's in it. Of course, I want to read it because I love Kyle. So that's kind of where that started. And a lot of that stuff went over my head reading this now and how much he like packs into uh, Grant Morrison loves to pack any kind of occultism, any kind of spirituality. He likes to like pad his books with that stuff and reading through justice league and finding that stuff was really amazing. And there's so much in final crisis. You can probably treat it like a, like, like a, like a religious text. I'm sure as some people would <laughs> with his works, so, oh, no, go ahead. No, no, no I was just going to ask. So then Final Crisis, you said, marked the end, basically, of the monthly. How much of a role did Final Crisis itself play in that? Or were you just kind of phasing out of the, the monthly comics anyway? I was already phasing out. I got interested again uh, around the New 52 time. And then I had like bought all the trades for the New 52. And after that, I was like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I think it was... Uh, I think this kind of led up to that. It was an exhausting year in comics leading up to Final Crisis. We had so many weekly comics at that time period. We had, um, what was it? I think 52 and then Countdown and then Final Crisis. And the event books came to like this big exhaustive thing. And I think that Final Crisis in and of itself as a work is kind of a gateway drug out of comics. <laughs> it's a big say, but like you can kind of utilize this book as the end-all be-all of the DC universe and then move on from here because this is what every event attempts to be and do they try do they succeed did this even try did this succeed <laughs> well DC just announced dark crisis so as far as this one being the final I crisis I know that's an easy shot but it's right there it's like I feel yeah. like they were asking for it with this title <laughs> yep how do you feel about the the crisis events, generally speaking, I, or or even not? I mean, but especially in the realm of of DC, most of them do tend to fall under that umbrella, or something like Flashpoint. Are you generally into those types of stories, or do you prefer more of the 
you know, I, I guess smaller scale, more character driven stuff. There's a place for everything. And I think something within Final Crisis that they talk about is the duality, you know, should there be, should there be, well, they both are going to have to exist anyway. You know, I enjoy the smaller stories. I enjoy kind of more indie comics. I enjoy like the standalone character stuff, but if an event is done right, it can be really exciting. I I think we all really latched onto and loved moments of Blackest Night. I think there was a lot of like buzz and conversation around that storyline and like cool moments that we could all connect with. I think this one has a lot of moments. It's harder to find for comic book fans to talk about in the comic book store. And I think, is that what makes a successful event or? (laughs) That's a good question. Uh, And I want to circle back to that. I'll give a little bit of context, I guess, for myself, where, where I arrived at each of these stories originally. And since then JLA rock of ages in particular did mark a bit of a turning point for me, right? As everyone knows, I started with death of Superman. And so I was reading monthly, through the 90s, but almost exclusive, but really exclusively the Superman books. And then JLA came along and I was able to negotiate with my parents to be able to read that because Superman was in it because I was limited to the Superman books. I've told that story. But it was specifically, if I'm remembering this correctly, it was JLA 11, the cover with Luther and Joker on the cover, putting Superman and Martian Manhunter through that maze. It was that cover that really caught my eye and I, I guess I picked that one up, but I had missed issue 10, part one of Rock of Ages, and former Alternate Realities owner, current comic book writer, Brandon Montclair, uh, was able to track down an issue of JLA number 10 for me. He charged me $10 for it. I still remember that. <laughs> but from that point forward, I, I was JLA was then on the pull list. And I feel in a lot of ways like that sort of opened up the larger DC universe to me. And then I eventually did expand my pull list and there came a point where I was getting almost everything that DC was putting out. Yep. <laughs> that's how they get, that's how they get you for sure. And, but I always loved almost that the, almost the entirety of that JLA series from Morrison to Wade to Joe Kelly, the, some of the, the latter chunk of the series was sort of hit or miss, but the Morrison run in particular, I loved. And even to this day, I, I do put it above a lot of, their other work because I felt like it was it had those wild ideas and those high concepts but filtered through that more accessible superhero prism it felt like there were some constraints but as the saying goes sometimes constraints make the artist and I felt like the JLA stuff struck a nice balance and even rereading Rock of Ages now and I haven't read that I think 20 years yeah (laughs) it really held up and it, it held my interest but I didn't find myself scratching my head reading it so uh, you know, then and now, Rock of Ages does remain a favorite of mine. Yeah, Rock of Ages was like I wrote down like so many like moments that I like loved and got excited about, and characters I had forgotten about, like when Argent popped up during the uh, like the Age of Apocalypse time period. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So that one was and is a lot of fun. Final Crisis, I I came at, I guess, from a different place. So from Death of Superman through Infinite Crisis, everything that I'm reading, I'm reading monthly, and I'm in it, and I'm following everything. And the the lead up to Infinite Crisis, I was there for all of it. The four miniseries, all the time, everything. 
And Infinite Crisis itself, well, there's a lot that I like about it, and I reread it over the past couple of years, and I, I really overall I enjoyed it, but at the time, I guess I found it to be a little bit of a letdown, and it just sort of felt like, I don't want to go so far as to say oh, it broke me as far as events go, but it was one of those things where I felt like, man, I was so, I put so much into this <laughs> as a reader, mm-hmm. and it didn't do for me what I guess I wanted it to do. And hand in hand with that, I was getting to this place where I was really more interested in reading in, in trade paperback. So after Infinite Crisis, I made the decision to switch entirely to trade. So I was no longer getting, and even the Superman books, I wasn't getting them monthly anymore. So that was a big shift for me. And then 2011, Flashpoint and the New 52 happened. And I don't want to say I, I totally gave up, but I sat out most of the New 52. Yeah. And it's only now, to be honest, that I'm really finally catching up on a lot of the rebirth stuff. So... um so there are a couple of lines of demarcation for me. And the most nebulous period, I suppose, is between Infinite Crisis and Flashpoint. And that's where Final Crisis fell. And yeah. I re- I've tried Final Crisis three times. When it originally came out, I, I, I think I, I stockpiled the issues or I just waited for the trade. Uh, and then a few years ago, and, and now again for this, I would say this is probably the most that I've enjoyed it. But in mm-hmm. all three readings... <laughs> it loses me at the same spot. And I try, like I try to get through it every time. And it's, it's the Superman beyond I'm with that story for the first three issues. And, and then we hit the Superman beyond and, uh, and a lot of the elements from Superman beyond, of course, come back particularly in the final issue of final crisis. And those three issues in particular, always just, uh, it just sort of uh, lose me there. So that's that's kind of where the same thing that happened this time. Well, I want to pick your brain about like where exactly it loses you. But I also want to interject that I'd never read the Superman Beyond until now. Really? I I remember when they came out, I think the single issues had the 3D glasses that came with them. Yes. And I remember like at the time, like I oh, I pulled it out and I looked at it and I was like, I, I don't have time for this. And I just put it away and I never read it. And so like when Mandrak shows up at the end, I had no idea who this character was. And I'm like, am I supposed to know what this is? I don't know. And I like, I, that's why I, cu- I couldn't stand final crisis. Cause I missed that Superman beyond element of it, which is key. Yes. So what exactly, what loses you in Superman beyond? I guess for the majority of final crisis, I don't, I, as much as people will say that it's too convoluted, too dense. It's hard to track what's happening. I, that wasn't necessarily my experience with the majority of Final Crisis. This basic concept of there's been this war between New Genesis and Apocalypse, Evil One, the, the new gods have fallen to Earth. They're in the bodies of humans, and they're enacting this plan to release the anti-life equation across the internet and subjugate the human race by removing their free will. You know, that's a great concept. There's so much cool stuff in there. You have Dan Turpin investigating the death of Orion. You have Hal Jordan framed for it. You know, Batman gets taken. There's so much really, really cool stuff in there. And even when the anti-life equation is used and and Earth falls, and now we get that future sequence, right, that we saw in JLA, Rock of Ages, and that Snyder was teasing in his movies in the nightmare sequence. I I, I was there for a lot of it. With the Superman Beyond piece... And this multiversal battle and the backstory of the race of monitors 
and the contamination and it gets very metatextual obviously yeah and that's actually what i wanted to i'll, I'll toss it back to you because i'm curious maybe i'm missing something what what is our takeaway supposed to be from that Superman Beyond story and and in particular the history of the race of the monitors that there are these vampires who feed on stories like are are we the monitors is it the publishers is it the editors I don't know where are we supposed to to, to land on that um I will tell you what I got when I read it this time and that was when Superman goes into the 4D vision for the first time he's this is all happening between the panels in the white space of the comic books. So this is in between our world and the two dimensional world is what's kind of happening in Superman beyond. So all of the Superman from all around the multiverse have been pulled between the panels to prevent dark side and Mandrak from getting out into our realm. Yeah. And so <laughs> that's that's kind of what I and 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 at one point Superman even reaches out into the comics and looks at us which is technically his god. You know, without our thoughts, without us existing, Superman wouldn't. Okay. That's so he kind of like peers into the eyes of god and now there's a lot of like gnosticism which is this kind of like old christian cults that like a, a lot of occultism stuff is and there's this thing called the demiurge and that's kind of what mandrak is meant to represent i i feel <laughs> oh, tell me more about that so the demiurge is a spin-off of sophia which i assume is what um what is her name the one with the thing connected to the heart do you recall that monitor's name that pulls Superman in. Oh, I want to say Zillow, but I think it's yeah, I, I lose track of the monitor's yeah. names. Yeah, I lose track of the yeah, monitor's something. So like, like so I assume that she's meant to be a representation of this like Sophia aspect in Gnosticism, which is meant to be the first split from God. So like what they talk about in that bit with like first there was the void, and then within the void there was the imperfection. And so this is this kind of like it's 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 just like christian fan fiction that is like evolved into occultism and that's the perfect for comic books you have this like this like perfect being that has this imperfection within itself which then creates us to then realize that the being is perfect and that's kind of what's happening in superman beyond he's he's taking all of these spiritual aspects like mandrak is the god at the end of the universe that feeds on the universe and that is like this uh the entity of like in the Bhagavad in the Bhagavad Gita, it's like this. Um, the Gita is this uh, Hindu, this Hindu spiritual text that uh, it takes place in the midst of this massive battle, right? So the in the Mahabharata, there's this huge battle going on, very comic booky, almost in comparison to like what Final Crisis is. And within those pages, there's this conversation between uh, Krishna. And, um, oh my God, I'm blinking on his name right now, but I'll think of it as we go. Um, oh my God, never mind. I don't want to hold you up, <laughs> but 
this prince and Krishna and they have this conversation like, what am I? Why am I here? I don't want to fight. These people are my cousins. I don't want to fight anymore. I don't want to be this warrior prince anymore. And Krishna basically talks with this prince and convinces him, no, 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 you don't have a choice. This is your destiny. If you don't do this, reality basically won't work. All right. So there's a lot of those like spiritual religious aspects being kind of put and seated throughout these books. Okay. Now, these are things that I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you had an interest in this already, right? Like were these things that you were already reading about or was it Final Crisis that sort of pointed you in that direction to try to get the larger context? Um, I think in general, I was always kind of researching like occultism and weird things, anything like counterculture that would come my way. It happened in music, like a band called Thrice would talk about Greek mythology and philosophy. And so all of those things I really kind of gravitated towards. And I think it was finding out about the invisibles and reading that through the first time to really try and like understand Morrison is when I kind of started to understand all of these other elements that he's pulling from and all of these like religious stories and all of these like, you know, 18th century Gothic novels and Robert Anton Wilson and all of these things that he kind of grabs these ideas from. So I, all right, I guess here's the thing hearing you talk about that, right. And you've, you've done all this reading and you laid it out beautifully and, you know, clearly it's of interest to you. I can, I appreciate what you got from this. For me, even with that context, that's still just, I don't know, not what I was, what I want from a comic book story and what I wanted from this story. And I suppose there are different levels of Morrison fan. Like for you, for Mike San Gregorio, you know, again, like you guys are there for all of this and you'll, yeah. you'll do that outside reading and, and you'll have that context. And I'm sure for you guys, like it must be so cool to read something like Superman Beyond and see what Morrison is pulling from. Like that's the thing. I totally get your passion for it and I appreciate it. It's just not one that I necessarily share. And I feel like there are levels of Morrison fan. Again, like I look at the rest of Final Crisis and I'm I really am there for it. I enjoyed a, a lot of it. I think a lot of the issues I had with Final Crisis, Superman Beyond aside, are the same types of problems I had with a lot of these other events. They're not necessarily Morrison specific. Uh, but and I will circle back to that. But there might be plenty of people who read even the rest of Final Crisis and were like, oh, "Well, what's going on? Like, this really isn't for me." So, I, I, again, I think there are there are sort of uh, different levels here. So, I mean, I appreciate the context that you shared. It it doesn't. If I were to read it again, and I don't have another, I don't have a fourth read of this in me. To be perfectly honest, yeah, I don't, I don't think it would really make that much of a difference for me. And I don't say that in a dismissive way. It's just. Again, just not my thing, I suppose. Well, I think that you should at least do another read through at some point of just the two Superman Beyond issues. I think there is a lot of stuff in there that is worth it for the character. He has this moment where he goes to the infinite library, right? Which is only the singular book that has every book within its pages. And you, if you read between the lines, you'll find exactly what you're meant to look for, which is kind of representative of all of Grant Morrison's work, right? A lot of Grant Morrison fanboys can be like, you got to read this to understand this, to understand this. But like, I want to take these and kind of leave it in the context of these and if you were to read that, you have a story of Superman looking at this infinite book and seeing that there is a peaceful void at the end of the universe and that 
the universe is holy, indifferent, maybe good. And then you have Ultraman who reads it and is like, oh, there's this big vampire guy. Everything's going to go to garbage and we're going to destroy the world because evil wins. And he, these two aspects of Superman read the same book and get that. And then you have the Adam Superman kind of smash these two Superman together to get rid of duality in that moment to awaken the avatar of this creator God within the comics. So Superman kind of reaching this holy massive ideal to have this one last battle with this evil Galactus level villain. I, I, I'm envious. Honestly, I wish, I, I wish I, I had the perspective that you did on it. I, I would be open for, for you. I'd be, I'd be willing to give it another read, but I just, and I don't not even not to be cynical. I just I don't know. I think you know I'm sorting this out in real time, so bear with me. But I I, I don't think it's so much like clearly I didn't have the same takeaways that you did. And there's a that whole other larger context that I didn't have in my head. So I guess to an extent I didn't quote unquote get it. But I think that my issue with it is just more again in that in that type of story and in that context that you put Superman in. And I've I've talked about this in other episodes. I don't love generally speaking. Stories involving Superman and the supernatural or Superman and magic. It's just not the context in which I enjoy seeing the character for any number of reasons. And this is like that, but, you know, to, to a whole other level. But so I, I think that's sort of where this loses me, even more so than like, oh, I didn't get what was going on. I mean, I got, I guess, the broad strokes enough of yeah. I certainly got that you know, this metatextual aspect here that we were going, you know, this wasn't like a fight with a villain. There was a lot more going on there, but I, I, yeah, I think it's just the type of story that I I am, or I'm not looking, looking to see. Like, I mean, I don't mean to be reductive, but it was like, it was too much. It's, it is. Every panel has like an overload of information in Superman beyond. I have to say like by the near the end of this trade, I was exhausted. I felt the despair. <laughs> like I was I was genuinely in that space and it's is that what we're meant to feel? Is that what we're meant to go through to get to the ending which thusly reboots, well soft reboots at this time, the DC universe but also gives us the very 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 beginning of Metron basically being Prometheus and giving fire to the DC universe and at the very, very end of the universe. So, oh, I have a really good question at the, about the last few pages, by the way, I know this is going completely off topic, but I wanted to ask you this because I'm still pondering over it. Batman is there with this other older being. And in the background, you see a crashed rocket. Is that meant to be a version of Clark at the beginning of a new universe or is that what do you think that that little interaction is of this like old man that passes next to bruce when he goes to carve the bat symbol on oh the cave well wall? while i ponder that let's take a quick commercial break and then we'll unpack that so we'll be right back flat squirrel productions is an affiliate of bcw supplies the next time you need to restock on comic book bags boards boxes and more be sure to use promo code fsp to save 10 percent on your order It helps support the show, too. Thank you. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Established in 83, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They are ready and excited to assist you 
and navigating the wide world of comics. In addition to weekly new releases, graphic novels, and merchandise, they pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available. All offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out these festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On To Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In The Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Event details and submission info can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the fests on social media for updates on discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. If you're a fellow father out there, or if you're just interested in hearing a fun conversation, check out Shadadigans, a weekly podcast by dads sharing their dad experiences. Listen, relate, and laugh. One of the hosts has been a guest of this show, Justin DeVoe. In recent years, Justin has embarked on a truly remarkable fitness journey, which you can see for yourself on Instagram at RealLifeLobo. And if you're looking for guidance on your own fitness journey, check out at Iron and Honor. And we're back. So the rocket, the rocket is what the survivors blasted out of the watchtower right before everything went away. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, my, I took the old man to be the, the first man that Metron gave the fire to. Oh, okay. That makes sense. That was my take on it. At least I think I got at least yeah. that much right. from, <laughs> from yeah. Well, you got more than I did in that moment, but but this this truly is the beginning and end of the DC universe. Like, I don't think what bigger event or bad has there been really since this? Has there any event even touched like the scope of this? Like Flashpoint wasn't a big event. Like it wasn't like big world multiversal world ending event. I don't think. No, that was more timeline shenanigans and then de-aging the characters and and you know re- re- you know not even retconning but just rewriting continuity i to be honest i sat out all of the metal and dark metal st- all that stuff that scott snyder did i'll get to it at some point and now we're yeah. gearing up for dark crisis i don't know exactly what the scope of that is going to be but yeah i don't think there's been something quite on this scale since then that's probably fair to say i also want to jump back to something that you had said before because I was thinking about this as I was reading it. As I recall from when this was originally coming out, I feel like there were some complaints among fans that, you know, there had been that weekly series countdown to final crisis leading up to it. But I don't yeah. know how much, and I didn't read that, but I don't know how much coordination there necessarily was. And I remember at the time people complaining that it didn't really quite line up with, with that. And maybe what else was going on in the DC universe at the time and so I can understand when this originally came out, why there might've been a little bit of confusion or frustration among fans, but reading it now, it does really stand on its own. I do think the trade paperback wisely included the additional issues that it did in order to make yeah. the, the volume more readable, but it really was something that you could sort of read at, I mean, not literally, obviously they're, you know, they were using the versions of the characters that were in, in use at the time, but it wasn't so tied to the ongoing continuity it really and especially now coming to it over you know a decade later it 
it does work well on its own. You don't necessarily, as much as they did do plenty of tie-ins and other crossovers and things like that, you don't need them. How did you feel? I agree. I think that this is a pretty solid standalone work. Same with Rock of Ages. You can kind of read these both. Um, Rock of Ages can even give you more context to things that are happening within this, right? So this dark side event is always going to happen in the DC universe. Uh, whether it happens in the beginning, like it did for uh, post New 52, or it happens at the very end, like it did for Final Crisis. Darkseid is always going to come down. It's always going to be the biggest thing the superheroes have to face. And what Morrison did was kind of put that in its own little bubble, kept that in the pages, and pulled back to what was going on in the white space between the pages for Superman Beyond. So you're kind of going even bigger than that to almost like this like Valhalla, Ragnarok, never ending war of the Superman going on. Yes. It, look, I, I love Superman and this is a Superman podcast and Superman Beyond is the most Superman centric portion of the proceedings that we're talking about here. I I wish that <laughs> I, I had more to say or, or more positive to say uh, about it. I really do. What did you, I was a little confused at the beginning of the final issue with the Brainiac five moment. Cause like that seems to come out of nowhere, even within the context of the trade. Did you, was there anything that like led to Brainiac five being there or are we just to assume that he was on his way back to Lois? He was pulled. So I haven't reread final crisis Legion of three worlds in a really long time, but I mm. think that's where that connection point is. Got you, got you. So this isn't whole. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, <laughs> but, but, but close enough, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, for the most part, yeah, I do think it, yeah, I feel like it does stand on its own more than, um, I don't know, maybe something like Infinite Crisis or something like that, that did have yeah. a lot more build up to it that connected more tightly than, than this did. So ultimately I would say that's, that's a positive for this story. Like I said, the overall concept of it was really, really cool. And I think what sort of breaks my heart about Final Crisis is there were so many pieces that I wish more of the story had had been built around. Like I would yeah. have I would have loved to have spent more time with Dan Turpin investigating the murder of Orion or yeah. Hal Jordan being on trial framed for the murder of Orion and the attack on on Jon Stewart. My God, this whole concept of the surviving Daily Planet staffers uh, having a printing press in the Fortress of Solitude and continuing to put out editions. Like, that's a fantastic idea. Like, that's so cool. I wish, you know, I wish some of those aspects had had more room to breathe. I would have happily sacrificed the two-part Superman Beyond for a two-part Daily Planet Fortress of Solitude edition. <laughs> well, there's no, there's, there's no room to breathe in this. It, it's relentless there's stuff is happening constantly there it is the worst day that any of these heroes are ever going to experience ever from this i don't like it's terrible everything bad that can go wrong batman dies like so much happens in this book and none of those moments get their chance to like sit with you for a second you don't have like that like i feel like there's no pause or time as you said to breathe Right. And well, to your point, though, that is an interesting aspect to this and <laughs> not to be flipped, but, you know, that relentless pace, the, the, 
barrage of, of information and concepts and everything that's thrown at you. It's like, you, like you said, you felt exhausted when you were done. I did too, because I broke it up over the course of a day. So I didn't do too much at any one time. Uh, and, but it's like, yeah, we, was that, <laughs> so we know what anti-life feels like? <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> it, it is, you know, I don't know, disorienting, I think maybe is too strong a word, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Some might feel that way, but it definitely, it's, it's definitely not a light read. Well, what do you think about the big Superman moment? I don't think it's cheesy. I think it's kind of beautiful when he is building the miracle machine and Darkseid's essence is kind of surrounding him and kind of doing that last, you know, Jason Voorhees, I'm still here coming to get you. And Superman goes, Darkseid always hated music. Like, I think that's a beautiful moment. I think that that's like such a, like... What do it's you cool. think? It, it is. And I know San Gregorio loves that. He posted that page in the in the Facebook group thread about this where Superman whistles Darkseid away, right? He's able yeah. to, it's all vibrations and frequencies to him. And like you said, Darkseid always hated music. It's cool. I, I think I, I think a part of me was just kind of over it by that point. I wasn't. Really? It didn't really. Yeah. Like, it's funny. I was really thinking about this. If. If I were to remix the Final Crisis, <laughs> and it's not my story, so I wouldn't do it. But if I pulled out Superman Beyond and most of issue seven, I quite like Final Crisis. I just okay. don't. I just don't need Mandrak. I don't need. See, Darkseid as the embodiment of evil and and his plan. That's enough for me. I don't need this higher level threat. On the on the white pages of the pa- like again I get it like and I know that's you know that's what this was building towards but I feel like if you pull out Superman Beyond and again most of that last issue you keep the the few little epilogue pages maybe you keep I'll give you Superman whistling <laughs> I I honestly if this is a six parter and we lose that other I like Final Crisis a lot more I would have a very mm. different opinion of it overall I I guess I just felt like there was enough it just it felt like too much when we get to the Mandrak piece. I think Darkseid's a phony. I think Darkseid needs all this other stuff to be this big bad. I mean, even when, in if you look at JLA uh, Rock of Ages, he has he always has that announcer. He always has Godfrey being like, ah, look at it, it's the big bad Darkseid. Here he is, he's coming. But does Darkseid ever really do anything but like backhand somebody every now and then? <laughs> like, what does Darkseid himself do? He needs to build up, as he says in one of his villain speeches, all of these like idiotic maggots and all of <laughs> he needs all of this stuff to all of these individuals to look down on. He he, he's not a whole being. Darkseid is looking for some kind of spark of joy, but he can't find it because he is the embodiment of negative energy. Yeah, that's an interesting take. I feel like having just come off of rewatching the Superman the Animated Series, I feel like the DC Animated Universe made him more of a of a whole character in, in that mm-hmm. sense, maybe. But I think in the context of these stories, I mean, your point is is well taken. I had... I just searched final crisis explained uh, online just to see what came up. And I saw a Reddit thread where someone was like, explain it to me. Like I'm five, like the bit from the office <laughs> with Michael Scott, not knowing what a surplus is. And someone said it's about depression. Yeah. And I said, all right, I, I, I kind of get behind. I went into the reread with that in mind. And certainly when we're talking about 
anti-life. And especially even when we see the, the this equation, this mathematical proof of, you know, loneliness and, and isolation and despair and this loss of self and, and everything, I, I definitely could see that. But I guess the... I get your take on this because the way anti-life is is portrayed in these stories, in both stories, it's you know broadcast into people's minds and or they have these helmets placed on them. I feel like it would have made it would have been more impactful if people were really succumbing to it, not being forced into it. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think. On the pages of a comic book, it's more interesting to have those elements of the helmets and the the you know like being forced to the the fighting the the big dramatic moments of like you know Ollie getting the helmet put on him, Black Lightning getting the helmet put on. Because um, in those moments, they are kind of losing hope. They are on their last legs, you know? They're at their final moment in that sense. And they do succumb to it, but in a very comic book kind of way. Yeah, fair enough. I guess I think, I think to where we were going in the Snyderverse. And we've gotten a good sense of this from the nightmare sequences from the Snyder movies, as well as what Snyder has discussed in interviews as far as where he was going. And the idea for the next movie in the Snyderverse would have been that Darkseid killed Lois while Batman was supposed to be protecting her. And in his grief and despair and anger, Superman gives in to anti-life. And that gives us the Superman that we've seen in the nightmare sequences. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is emotionally resonant and powerful and more meaningful than if someone slammed a helmet on his head. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you there. I wish that we had more of Turpin's kind yeah. of transformation into dark side. That's something that, cause I reading this didn't really get that. It was the same Dan Turpin from the animated series or from even new God stuff. Cause I'm not that familiar with like older new God stuff as well. Uh, so I'm going into this kind of not knowing too much of the backstory of the new gods yet. That's still something I have to tackle in my own like readings. Um, but after listening to you about the animated series and going into this and being like, oh, that's Dan Turpin. This is almost kind of simultaneously happening with that. You know, Darkseid has to take down Turpin to be able to kind of fully embody his despair in a sense. Yeah, oh, that's the thing. I mean, maybe maybe more time with Dur- Turpin, maybe that could have been our representative for this idea of... You know, uh, people giving into it. But I guess it's just looking on the other side of it is, you know, sort of breaking them free. I guess maybe I was looking for more of a moment in the story where there's people see hope and that as opposed to like the Ray putting Metron signal over the entire planet and Oracle yeah. killing the Internet. It's just I, I don't know. I guess there's so much with Morrison with these high concepts and and the, 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 the meta text of it and everything. But I don't know. As far as getting in and out of anti-life, it just feels very, uh, I, I, I don't know, pedestrian almost in terms of like, I, that's where I was looking for the moment of, of hope mm-hmm. to help them break free or something like that. I think that would have gone a long way for me if there had been something like that. And, and it's funny because even though I've read it before, I didn't remember all the, the particulars of it. And as I was reading it this time, I was like, oh, maybe is that like what Barry Allen is here for? Barry Allen is that, is the hope that's going to allow yeah. them to break free from this. But 
know, he does it for Iris, right? She's watching the broadcast. The eyes are red. She's she's succumbed to it. He kisses her. We see the little the little electricity between them. Yeah. She snaps out of it. That's great. That I want more. It, that that is a great moment. Yeah i i have to I have to agree with you on that. I wonder why those choices were made. What? Now you got me thinking. Because <laughs> <laughs> as I said, I don't those last two issues I, I struggle with. Still. Hmm. While you ponder that, let me let me say this, because I, I had touched on this before, the, the issue that I have with a lot of these events. So this is not a Morrison Final Crisis critique. One thing that I, I always find missing in these stories, and it, it's not even a fair criticism, because these stories are not Crisis on Infinite Earths, Infinite Crisis, this, but well, actually Flashpoint's an exception, but they're not built for this. But what I would like to see, I guess, is a point of view character, an emotional anchor that is going to sort of carry us through the story. Someone we can really, not that everything has to be from their perspective. I Obviously, these are going to touch on all corners of the DC universe, but someone we can keep coming back to that anchor. It could have been Turpin in this. It could have been Nix, Uatan. Yeah, sure. Sure, but I feel like in a lot of these stories, yeah, we don't we don't get that, and it, and it just then feels like we're jumping around a lot, and so that happens in a lot of these stories. This one in particular, I mean, even Batman's big moment, you know, shooting Darkseid, right, and then getting fried yeah. by the Omega beams. I know in the trade they give us the two issues of Bet- the, of Morrison's Batman run where he frees himself from that device that uh, you know Granny had placed him, and I, I I can appreciate that, but. In the context of that issue of Final Crisis, that was number six, mm-hmm. right? You just turn the page. Batman's just there. He's just there. He has the gun. He has this moment, and it's a cool moment, but it just comes out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So it's that, that jumping around that with all of these events, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of, but I understand You know that that's kind of part. That being said, in the within that moment, I, it's one of my favorite Batman moments. I think it's awesome. Yeah. It's there's so much in here because we're not even we haven't even like touched on this monitor that got sent down to help awaken people too. like there's and he was only there because he was being imprisoned for something that I'm I have completely forgotten why he was imprisoned what he did. Earth 51 died on his watch. Right. What do you know what that is or do you remember what that was from back in that time or is it just like a, a plot point? I, I don't, that might've been something from countdown to final crisis or mm. not. And they, they might've just come up with it for this. I'm really not sure. Yeah. But there's so many little cool moments that I could see someone younger reading this and latching onto it and wanting to expand those elements, which is brought me back to rock of ages and how I felt as a kid with all of these little things and being like, Oh, who's Orion? Who's that? Oh, who's this? And kind of wanting to expand and see more of those characters. So in the sense of an event, I think it might be successful in introducing all of these concepts and all of these characters and like, Oh wait, why would Batman never use a gun for someone who's never touched a comic? And let's say, you know, final crisis number six is their first comic. And (laughs) that's a lot to take in. (laughs) Yeah, no, fair enough. And I, I think that's, like I said, I don't think these stories are built for a point of view character necessarily for, I think in large part for the reason you said, you know, these are universe spanning events and it's meant to appeal to readers of any of the DC books or a new reader. So mm-hmm. 
you know, that's fair enough. I, I, and I know I've not been so hot on this comic, but the, some of the things that I really did like, and I've mentioned a bunch of them previously, I really did love the moment with Batman and Darkseid and the line about, I made a solemn vow about firearms, but for you, I'm making a once in a lifetime exception. Yeah. It's great. And he, when, you know, it's, it's a powerful moment when he gets, gets hit by the Omega beams. Obviously we see at the end of issue seven that he's been sent to the past. And then we have the return of Bruce Wayne miniseries that shows him making his way through time. But I remember at the time that number six came out, like that was a big deal. Yeah. You know, Batman had not died before, like in a big way, at least. <laughs> Yeah, and it wouldn't be a crisis without Superman carrying uh, the, the lifeless body of a fallen comrade in his arms. It's kind of his thing. I have, I have a couple uh, uh, notes that I wrote down. One of them is the – I just wrote Superman uh, – supervillain protest of vigilante abuse. I thought that that was so funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Metron being Prometheus I thought was really cool. I thought that was a cool moment to have as well. Uh the Reverend Godfrey was also a great idea. And oh yeah, John Jones gets murdered in this too. Like so much happens. Yeah. That's like so much happens an afterthought. And, but it's tra it's like terrifying. You know, you have the Legion of superheroes. He gets marched out and just like lit on fire in front and like on like the internet on like, uh, it's crazy. That's like such a, Orion dies. That happens. So much happens in this miniseries that like, it's kind of hard to hold it all in your head. As you said, they wish that they had more time to breathe, but also we're here talking about this as like this complex work. <laughs> That's true. That, that lack of room to breathe is part of the design of the story for, for, for better or worse, but that is, that is part of it. I, I do recognize that, you know, there, there are a couple of aspects that you've see carried over into Snyder's Justice League, the idea of the toxic air. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we see that mentioned in both Rock of Ages, you know, when Aquaman swims out of the water, when he shows up in the in the future that's been taken over by Darkseid, talk about the toxic yep. air. And then, of course, here they in Final Crisis, they set up their base of operations in Bloodhaven, which had this, you know, nuclear explosion that wiped everyone out. Uh, so that idea of the toxic air. And also... I think what I've come to appreciate more between Superman, the animated series, and especially Final Crisis is more of this idea of, yes, Darkseid is this, you know, alien being, but is is really this force and the very presence yep. and essence of Darkseid has an effect, right, mm -hmm. on people and on the earth and reality itself. And that's something that I, I can appreciate that, that idea. And I, I think I definitely got that more this time than I had before. Yeah, he is the embodiment of negativity of of he's suffering depression he doesn't want to he he steps on flowers he he wants he says in rock of ages i'm like i think i sent you the the panel where he's like at the end of the universe i'm waiting for myself to be there again and to look in the mirror and see dark side basically so, something along those lines and he is so desperately wanting to end the universe. So all that's left is him. And so that someone will kind of take him away and take him down. And he almost gets that with the black racer. He gets that fear for the first time. And same with the Adam, when the Adam goes in and starts just tearing away at his brain. <laughs> yeah. And rock of ages, that was terrific. Yeah. Well, rock of ages also has that perspective. I think in every issue you get a really um, beautiful 
like individual perspective from each character uh in the first one it's kind of like a regular justice league story right you're kind of thrust in bad guys show up you're introducing all the characters it's kind of hectic but the second issue it's entirely kyle's perspective and it even starts with him in first person Mm -hmm. and then the third issue entirely aquaman's perspective and it just carries on that way that you kind of get this like individualized story that you don't get as much in final crisis because there's so many characters involved yes and i know obviously we've been touching on rock of ages i know we haven't devoted as much time to it but i again like i said i really really did enjoy my reread of this i it's funny i guess i had remembered it as being more of a dark side story than than it actually was yeah you know and obviously so much of the 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 first few issues are about the luther's injustice gang creating these hard light holograms mirroring the justice league the you know the 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 justice league revenge squad uh and i i really did like the angle of lex approaching this battle with the justice league as a corporate takeover yeah i love that (laughs) right he isolates the figureheads martian manhunter and superman on this decoy you know, Injustice League headquarters uh, that is being controlled by the Joker. So they have to try to essentially navigate the Joker's mind. And that leads to a yeah. great Martian Manhunter moment where he's like, I'm going to rewire my own brain to, to increase, think like the Joker. To think yeah. like the Joker. It's like, it's all, oh, it's like, like, see, that's the thing. And that's where I think my frustration with some of this Morrison stuff comes into play because there are ideas like that that are so good. It's like, oh, that's so cool. So there's, I, I, I do love these big ideas and high concepts that Morrison comes yeah. up with. It's just, like I said, sometimes I guess maybe it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit much. Uh, and of course, in that story, Lex has that, you know, the Philosopher's Stone, and then that sets off this uh, time travel adventure for Flash, Green Lantern, and Aquaman, um, where they ultimately end up in this future where the Philosopher's Stone has been destroyed, and without it, Darkseid is able to subjugate the Earth. And so we get, for a couple of issues, that you know earth enslaved by dark side sequence like the nightmare sequence that we get in the movies yeah it's crazy how much of a mirror these two books are because even in rock of ages the black racer is standing there and batman gets omega'd it's yeah it's like morrison was able to really what how many years apart are they almost 10 years over 10 years yeah, yeah. I know. I was thinking about that too, especially Batman falling to the Omega beams. It happens yeah. in both stories. Obviously, in the case of Rock of Ages, it's the future sequence that's ultimately prevented. But Morrison is like, one way or another, this guy is getting a pair of Omega beams. going to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. I think it's, it's Rock of Ages and Final Crisis, there's so many little moments that just line up. Like, it's always meant to happen. This dark side is always meant to take over Earth, and he's always meant to fall. Luther, too, some nice parallels uh, in the two stories. So, at the end of <clears throat> Rock of Ages, Luther uh, convinces Joker, who's in possession of the Philosopher's Stone at the moment, and it can rewrite yeah. reality, convinces him to undo these deaths that the Injustice Gang had caused at the beginning of the story. And An- another yeah. great Martian Manhunter moment, too, because Martian Manhunter prior to that gives Joker like empathy, and he's like, I'm holding his brain together for a minute. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm making Joker sane. Like, I can't hold it, though. I know. That was uh, so cool. And so Luther instructs Joker to basically undo those deaths. Like kids had died. And there's a great moment between Luther and Joker where Joker's laughing about the dead kids and Luther like backhands him. And he's like, look, Mm -hmm. like, look, like this is not, 
this was not the objective here. Like that's an unfortunate casualty. So as much as he is in league, pun intended with these villains, there's, you know, there, there, there's a line there. Uh, ocean mess, ocean master made it both times. Yeah. To the injustice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, but, but anyway, so when, when Lex, uh, instructs the temporarily sane Joker to undo those, those deaths, you know, on its face, it now precludes the Justice League from taking further action against him, right? Because no one died, nothing had, they don't have any proof. But, you know, Superman goes to visit him and he's like, I know there's good in you, Lex. Yeah. And Lex is like, yeah, you would think that, wouldn't you? But Lex is one of the ones who helped save the day in Final Crisis. Just like at the very end of Justice League Unlimited, we have that amazing battle in the animated series between Superman and Darkseid. But at the very, very end, it comes down to Lex Luthor. I love it. Yeah, Lex is, but Lex is not this embodiment of negativity or evil. Lex is just there as like a counterpoint to Superman. Like, had Superman not existed, Lex would have cured cancer. Everything would have been fine. But Lex sees Superman, and he's he's got to kind of almost like pretend to be this bad guy. Yeah, this like roadblock. It's amazing that Libra thinks that. Uh, Lex would swear allegiance and become part of this plot to subjugate all free will. It's like, that's not Lex's <laughs> Lex's no. end game at all, to your point. Lex loves the Earth. <laughs> yeah. Lex wants the Earth to be, not. I don't even think Lex wants the Earth to be his. He just wants to be loved by the Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I really enjoyed the role that, that Lex played in both of those stories. Black Racer 2, one of my favorite moments. We're going to talk about the return of Barry Allen in in Final Crisis. One of my favorite moments in that story is when uh, Barry and Wally are talking about the Black Racer. And Wally says, I faced him once when he was the Black Flash. I outran him. And you see a little smile yeah. on Barry's face. And he's like, I'm sure you did. That that pride. And we remember that story, right? The um mm-hmm. When uh, Grant Morrison and Mark Miller took over Flash for a year, and we had that story. That was so long ago. I haven't touched any of those old, like, but I, that was my time in reading. So, yeah. But what, what, what were your thoughts that. on uh, Barry's return in Final Crisis? When I first read it, I was so excited about that because I was so devastated as a kid that a superhero could, like, die and not come back ever. You know, there was, he was one of those like characters that we would list that would never come back again. Right. Uh, Like Bucky was one of them for a while that like Bucky would never come back. It was Jason Todd. Who else is on that list again? I would have said Jor-El and Laura, but then we got friggin' Mr. Oz. Uh, what's that uh, you'll hear that on the podcast or maybe you will have already heard it by the time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But now all of them are back and Barry coming back was super exciting to me. And I felt that that moment with Iris, it always brings a smile to my face. Like it's just such a nice moment where she's, you could like see like the red in her eyes and like, I I think it's Wally who's there and he's like, ah, she's already lost to anti-life. We got to go. We got to go. And Barry's like, no, 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 no. Hold on. I got this. And like they share that moment and she like snaps out of it amazing i unlike yourself i was not all that excited about (laughs) barry allen coming back i had just so grown to love wally and it just Mm -hmm. felt like i know i'm not alone in this but it just felt like such a an organic natural believable evolution of the character in a medium where you don't get that often 
where we yeah. actually had forward movement. And on top of that, you know, Barry still had a role to play. That's the thing. No, he wasn't alive and present, but he would appear via time travel or flashbacks yeah. or even just the, the memory of him. You know, he was always present in, in Wally's mind as this inspiration and mentor. So I actually liked the role that he was serving in death in the DC universe as this fallen hero that they all sort of look to. And I thought that worked, that was sufficient. So that was not a return I was clamoring for. It wasn't Mm -hmm. like, I'll be honest, I wasn't even clamoring for Hal Jordan to be redeemed, but I got why that made sense and why that, you know, kind of need, there was, there was some justice that needed to be done for that character. And I didn't feel that way with Barry, but I did enjoy his moments in Final Crisis. And, you know, when, when he and Wally finally have a moment to like stop and breathe and Wally's like, Barry, like I, you were gone for years. We never got over it. Uh, yeah. I mean, like some great moments between them. Like there was stuff like that that gave me chills as I was reading it. There was so much that I, I did enjoy about this story. As far as the overall consensus about this story, it does definitely seem to skew negative. I mean, is that your sense as well? Yeah, I, I've never encountered anybody who is like, Final Crisis is my favorite DC comic story ever. Like, I've never encountered a single human being who has ever uttered those words. Or, you know, if I bring it up, it's usually someone's like, oh, you only like it because of Morrison. I'm like, I kind of like it. When I posted in the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network Facebook group that we're going to be talking about this. Jermaine Exum, Lord Retail from Acme Comics in North Carolina. He wrote this and I got a, I did get a kick out of this. I think, I don't know, I don't know how much I ultimately agree, but I think this probably represents why a lot of people don't like it. And tell me what you think. I don't know, you probably saw it, but uh, Jermaine said, you can quote me on this. If someone tells you what Final Crisis is about, it sounds absolutely awesome. The final battle of the new gods happens entirely off panel with the death of all. But before he dies, Orion reaches the heroes of Earth to warn them that Darkseid is not dead and is hiding in Earth with the means to transform it using the anti-life equation. So he must be found and stopped. That's outstanding. But when you read Final Crisis, you may find yourself looking for what was described trying to extract the cool story. It's a very Morrison DC story in that a lot of lifting is on the reader and just the right artist is required for Morrison's ideas to be filtered through to the reader. Otherwise, it can be very confusing. How do you feel about that? I think it's an apt opinion for a lot of comic book readers. Um, One thing that I encountered early on before I even knew who Morrison was, was that Batman issue that was kind of like a mini novella, you know, I forget which hated that issue. (laughs) (laughs) Comic book readers do not like change to the structure. They do not want to work too hard. They have another eight comic books that they're probably waiting to get to before they read whatever comic it is. When I opened that and I saw that it was like a normal book almost i was like what am i why am i doing this and that was back then i was what seven between like it was right before this so maybe 18 19 years old i was i wanted comic books i didn't want that i didn't want final crisis i wanted just comic books and i think there is a space for stuff for morrison's storytelling style and pulling from all of this pre-culture and trying to fit as much knowledge and lessons and spirituality and 
philosophy into it. Uh, there's a beautiful, if you ever get a chance and anybody listening to this, just go back and read, I think, the first paragraph of H.P. Lovecraft's Call of Cthulhu. And within that, there's this beautiful phrasing about how science, once it finally learns how to connect every aspect of our reality, will open up terrifying vistas that our minds will not be able to grasp. And I feel that the evil within Final Crisis is what Morrison is trying to touch on, is a similar kind of terrifying vista. Think about if God was a all-hungry vampire, and that was our perspective of it, like what uh, Ultraman got out of it. That is a terrifying concept, that at the end of the universe, there's something eating the planets and coming for us. And that's kind of what happens in the Bhagavad Gita. At one point in this spiritual text, um, Arjunta, that's the name of the, the prince, he turns around to Krishna, who has been his like his Alfred, basically, and he's revealed to be this god, and he's like, Let me let me see you. I want to see you, I want to see you, I want to see you as the god. Let me see like your true form. And Krishna shows him, and it's this world-eating god deity that's coming. And it's the almost like the Ouroboros or the infinity symbol. It's it's constantly eating and being reborn. And he's so terrified, the prince, that he like cries and tells him, no, no, just go back. I don't want to see who you are, actually. And that's kind of what Mandrak is meant to represent, is this or, or even Galactus. That's what Galactus is meant to represent, is this kind of aspect of God that none of us really want to think about. And I think that that idea might be heavy for a lot of comic book readers. I think a lot of ideas within Final Crisis, not trying to be like, oh, you don't get it or all of that. But it's almost like we kind of like have to wash over it because like, oh, if this was real, this would be awful. (laughs) (laughs) Man, if the technology was telling us how to think, that'd be really awful. I'm trying to capture exactly what what my feeling is towards all of this. Um, I, I, I think for me, it's the story has to be rooted in in the in the characters and some sort of emotional arc for them and in a lot of these events not just morrisons but in this in particular i don't really find that and the ideas are cool enough but I, again, I think it's just a matter of what I'm looking for. It's not like that's the thing. It's not even like, oh, I don't think he told they they told the story well. It's not even that. It's just not really what I'm looking for. Again, I'll go back to to Snyder's Justice League. I love that movie. I love that you have this story of ultimately this group of of broken people, orphans who have to come together. Um, and you see each of them have the arc that they have over the course of that movie. You know to be taking cyborg as an example, you know, to go from this guy who's lost his mother, fractured relationship with his father, loses his father in theory is all alone and has that moment where he says, I'm not broken and I'm not alone. And he's surrounded by these people he's uh, aligned himself with, and he's able to help save the day. That was power. Like I, I connect with that. I didn't have that type of connection really with any of the characters in the story. And I wanted to, and that I think for me is, is a big part of what, was missing and so all those other you know big ideas like it's it's cool but it's just not enough for me or it's not what i'm looking for 
who do you think is the main character of Final Crisis? I, I don't think there is one. Right? You could thusly argue that the main character is potentially the reader. And they are witnessing kind of the end and beginning of the DC universe, like I mentioned. Um, that without us holding the book, thinking about what's happening within it, it wouldn't all exist. Um, it's, But there is no specific, as you said, through line character that's like kind of carried. It's kind of the torch gets keeps getting passed with every issue to someone else until we're left with batman until it's superman and then but like who at the beginning of this ends up changed at the end of it who has gone through something like if it was a screenplay which character has gone through something that is drastically different at the end no one that goes back to superman's headstone to be continued that is and that is the problem with comic books that I think Grant Morrison is trying to present within this. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's funny as we talk about this, you know, I mentioned final crisis not final crisis, infinite crisis earlier and how initially I, I was a little bit let down, but at the same time you look at that story and we begin with the Trinity and their fractured relationship. And we get to a point at the end where they've mended fences. And on top of that, you have the survivors of the original multiverse, specifically the Superman of Earth 2, who bursts, literally bursts through (laughs) into the story uh, with this aim of resurrecting Earth 2. The wrong Earth was used as the basis for for the new Earth after Crisis on Infinite Others. We're going to fix it. And he goes through and ultimately sees the, the error of his ways by the end of the story. So there you, you do have some of those arcs. Yeah, here you, you really don't. And I guess like your point is well taken. If that's the ultimate meta commentary that Morrison is, is, is making, that's fine. It just doesn't really resonate with me. I said before that it's kind of like a gateway drug out of comic books. I think we all at around final crisis felt this big, like disheartening of event comics. I think we all kind of felt that exhaustion. I remember like talking about it in stores, like, oh man, like there's 52 issues and then there's another 52 issues and then there's this. And we kind of were aware of the never ending Ragnarok of what is comic books. There will always be Superman fighting dark side. There will always be Superman fighting some cosmic force at the end of time and it will always keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it ends up being this rust superman versus mandrake i guess i guess i uh, in fairness one of the things that i i have grown tired of with events that this book is not representative of in, in fairness is is the the constant continuity reboots or reworkings and mm-hmm. You know, there was a time where I was there for all that. I, I was there for zero hour crisis in time. I was there for infinite crisis. What, what is continuity going to look like after this? Even Flashpoint, I was curious as to how that was going to shake out. Now, I don't care anymore. Yeah. And this, in fairness, is not about reworking continuity. So I do appreciate that aspect of it. But yeah, it is one of those, it is one of those big events that I think we do tend to get burnt out on. Mm-hmm. What else did you want to talk about? Because we, we've been going for an hour and a half, and I'm sure there's more that you had in, in your notes. I want to make sure. What what else did you want to talk about? 
I had a lot about uh, Rock of Ages. Um, a lot of like cool Kyle moments. I didn't like. I've always loved Kyle, and it's just really cool that you know within this you get to see that he is potentially one of the most powerful characters in DC. Um, like with his why because of his creativity with the ring the things that he does are so much more interesting than anything that Hal comes up with and like I just I just loved like seeing that character and like as simple as silly as it was when he had the big like head like suck up the ocean with a straw and when he gets like stuck in one of the you know uh the evil justice league's like constructs he just like makes a door and walks out of it and is like come on he he almost can like kind of maneuver through the panels differently than other like a cartoon character almost yeah kyle's awesome and i love the way morrison used him in that story and throughout the run you know kyle was still very early in his career at that point and i think morrison did a great job of showing us these mythical larger than life dc superheroes through the eyes of a newbie I yeah. thought Morrison used him to great effect. The The diner scene with uh, Connor is so good when Cersei shows up. And he's just like, nah, man, I'm not doing this. I'm out. This is weird. She's weird. I got to go. And then like later on, Wally's like, no, I don't want to hear about his love life. We got to take, we got to save the world. It's just, there's so much like fun stuff like that in Rock of Ages that when you look at Final Crisis, it's like, man, this is really dark in comparison to how light the same story and the same structuring was between the two. Yes. Well, what do you attribute that to? Is it that there were more editorial constraints on Morrison at the time? Is it just that they changed as a creator? Is it that they told that one story and now this was the other story they wanted to tell? Where do you think that comes from that stark contrast just we could just make it like a yin and yang right the superheroes won in that one they they beat dark side they beat the injustice gang yeah lex Luthor walked away but inherently it's a comic book everything got reset by the end of that except you know now we're disbanding the justice league so that's the only thing that really changed in that yeah it's a very positive and then you have final crisis which is everything goes wrong Everybody dies, the whole universe collapses, except at the very end of it, Superman makes everything all right. So everybody lives in peace within the pages as the panels fade away for the final time. Yes. With that miracle machine, he wishes for a happy ending because he's Superman. Of course. The ultimate positivity. Sure. That's the thing. As a Superman fan, you would think I would have been all over a moment like that. Like I said, yeah. by the time I got there, I was I was really kind of done. But I I can honestly say that I went into this reread with an open mind and an open heart, and I really tried. And I there was a lot that I enjoyed, and I would really say that I was on board with Final Crisis to a point. Just going back to Rock of Ages and and Morrison's run on JLA in, in particular, but you see it particularly in Rock of Ages. The electric Superman era was kind of a tough time for us Superman fans, but I, the Morrison always did a did a cool job with the electric powers in JLA. I got to say, it, I haven't gone back and reread the Superman books from that time. I w- that'll be next year on the podcast. But uh, this was the first time I was reading electric Superman stories in a while, and I was like, hey, that's pretty cool. Do you like the uh, callback to how he ultimately defeats Mandrake? Mandrake to the electric powers. I'm holding energy inside of me, and he releases the sunlight. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Got that energy absorption. Absorption. Yes, that is true. 
you know, we haven't talked about the art in all of this. And that's whenever I do these episodes, I know I, I tend to focus the lion's share of the discussion on, on the writing, but Howard Porter has always been a favorite of mine mm-hmm. it, it, and the art held up great in rock of ages. I, I, I loved his stuff there. What, what did you think? It's so fun and so bright and it, it has this like nineties feel to it that you don't really see that much anymore in comics. <laughs> and to Lord retail's point about the importance of the artist in a Morrison work in particular, I do think I do think there's something to be said for that to to really help help the reader process maybe some of these larger ideas and and everything that's being thrown at you. So I love the Howard Porter stuff on Final mm-hmm. Crisis. Honestly, individually, I I do quite like. I mean, Carlos Pacheco I think only helped out a little bit on a couple of the issues. It's primarily J.G. Jones and then Doug Mackey mm-hmm. doing Superman Beyond and the entirety of the pencils for issue seven. And I enjoy both of them individually. Yeah. As always, and I think every you know, it would have been nice if one artist could have done the entire book, but unfortunately, that wasn't doable. There's always there's always those restraints, and the deadlines are always hard to reach. But I, they both books capture the time period that they're from perfectly. Now that you've reread this and we've had this discussion, I mean, where where does Final Crisis sort of fall for you with comics generally, and specifically within the the bibliography of Morrison? It's it's definitely maneuvered higher than it was because I couldn't even stand I couldn't even stand it originally when I had read it. I was 19. I had no concept for any of this stuff. Uh I have to say the Superman Beyond portion, I disagree with you. I think it is one of my like more favorite Morrison moments. It kind of encapsulates a lot of the ideas he is tr- attempting to convey. I just wish I was more eloquent enough to kind of help and assist in conveying those. <laughs> but I, I think you are plenty it, eloquent. I just think, and I, I'd be curious, you know, audience, I, I would love to hear what, what you think. Do you, you know, what Ralph was saying is that, do you, do you agree? Do you see what he's talking about? Has this changed your mind in any way? I, you know, I, I would be curious to know. Yeah. There's so much that you kind of have to, know about all these like i've I spent years studying occult stuff and i'm I, I kind of got to this point of it kind of how i felt near the end of final crisis of like what is the point of all this it's just this never-ending ouroboros of like acquiring knowledge and to what end and it's kind of the same thing with comics when when is the fight over well we kind of had this moment where the fight ends and we get that like kind of forever breath at the end of this one, you know, and that's to be continued. <laughs> right. Th- this might seem counterintuitive given everything that I've said about final crisis, but I-, I would love to see this through the lens of the Snyder verse. Should those subsequent movies ever get made? I would love to see what Snyder had intended for the other two movies and to see what he might pull from, from final crisis. Now for someone who's a diehard Morrison acolyte, and maybe also is not a Snyder fan. What I said probably sounds like heresy, but for me, <laughs> I would really like to, I would really like to see that. It would be cool. And again, we got a, a good sense of where where Snyder was going with this. But I would I would love to see some of the some of the ideas uh, and, and 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 plot points from Final Crisis play out, but through the lens, I, I like I said, through a more grounded emotional core than we got at final crisis i enjoyed 
Snyder's versions. I kind of enjoyed his Justice League a lot more than whatever that Whedon one was. <laughs> I watched that one twice and I like left both times like i i know these i know these comics i know these characters i know what this movie is supposed to be but i don't know what happened (laughs) and when i watched the snyder one regardless of how long it was regardless of how you know zach snyder as an auteur is kind of silly to me sometimes because he he's like trying to be an auteur he like of course he's there's going to be a leonard cohen slow motion song moment and you can kind of pick out these moments that are Zack Snyder, but it's also kind of charming in a sense. I would, I would like to see if he does a translation of this, of final crisis. I think that would be interesting. Is he necessarily the director I would want, or would I want him as an executive producer on it? Unsure. Fair enough. You, but you came around a bit on, on the Snyder verse, right? From where you were originally. I came around big time and that's because I had not seen the Batman V Superman until recently. And seeing that, I was like, Oh, why didn't we get this movie? <laughs> the ultimate edition? The, you mean? Yeah. 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 Cause I didn't like that. I didn't like uh, man of steel, but I've come around on kind of all of those movies as its own thing. And they, they really do embody the characters correctly for the most part. And they kind of convey all the meanings in a mainstream way. I just, I don't know. Something kind of missed the mainstream audiences for some reason. I don't, I don't know if it's the length of these things. I don't know if it's that enough doesn't happen and there's too much slow motion. I don't know what Snyder is missing to get these out there to a broader audience like the MCU can. Sure. I I will say, because I've heard since I've done a number of episodes on the Snyder stuff, I have heard from a, a bunch of people who, have said that like yourself their appreciation for it has has grown with subsequent watches and i'm in that category i was always i always defended man of steel and batman v superman but not not with the fervor that (laughs) that i do now because i've you know it used to be like hey they don't deserve all that criticism there's some really good stuff in there but now again they they work for me on so many levels and hearing that from other people i really do think they are movies that when you go in to watch them for the first time, and especially when they were first coming out, I think there were certain expectations about what they were going to be based on prior Superman movies, based on the MCU. And what we got was very different. And I think that was, you know, talk about a challenging work, right? Mate? Yeah. Look, wait, hey, wait a second. This all, all ties together here. <laughs> you know, Like challenging in different ways. You're looking at Final Crisis or, or the Snyder movies. But I do think that they they challenged people's expectations of, of what they were going to be and maybe they weren't what people wanted or thought they wanted going in and that can totally color that viewing experience. But I think once you can kind of go in with more of an open mind and see them, like you said, for what they are, this is a specific version of this universe that we're getting. I, there's so much to enjoy and I, it's so, for anyone out there who's only watched them once or you know only watched Man of Steel and, and, and just stopped... I really do encourage you to give it another shot because you might find that there's more that uh, you're you're able to appreciate. And not to put too fine a point on this, but I really do think that these movies, and especially Man of Steel, were ahead of their time in terms of the world's reaction to the characters. And I, and I, I know, that. and I've said this before, but given everything that we've been going through over these past few years, I think you watch these movies, and if anything. It's a pretty optimistic take 
all things considered, as far as how the world would receive an alien. So I, I think that these movies really benefit from the passage of time and revisitations. So uh, again, for anyone who's still sort of on the fence, if, if you're willing to give them another shot, I do encourage it. I agree as someone who did not care for them at all. I mean, we've we've had conversations about how much I just couldn't stand them even and how I felt that, you know, obviously that big moment that everybody argues over of, uh, of Superman killing Zod and was like this. I've kind of even softened on that. I, I think when I look at the Snyder movies and when I look at some of the other DC events, there are those moments that are grounded in emotion that really make an impact on me. And that's in large part what I found missing in final crisis. All the ideas are cool. I don't have the same level of appreciation and the context that you do, but I, you know, I, 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 I do appreciate it in, in my own way, but I think there's that other side of it that was missing infinite crisis for anyone who hasn't picked up on it. My sign off at the end of every one of these episodes is it's about what you do. It's about action. And that's a moment from infinite crisis as Superman has finally defeated Superboy Prime and he's surrounded by kryptonite, he's falling to the ground and he's making this point to Superboy Prime. It's not what you call yourself. It's not what you put on your chest. It's about what you do. It's about action. You know, moments like that so clearly stand out. <laughs> that's my sign off. Uh, and, and you know, a lot, of, a lot of these other stories have moments like that. And that's, for me, what I kind of need <laughs> to, to some extent and what I... I didn't find, with some exception. Again, I thought the Barry and Wally stuff was was pretty powerful. I, like I said, I for you maybe I would reread Superman Beyond, but I don't know how many more readings of this entire thing I, I really have in me. I think I kind of get what it is, and um, and I, that's probably where I would leave it. But what else? Uh, what else would you like to say? In the context of Grant's work, Invisibles to me will always be tops. There's so much in there. I've been reading. Every reference he they they've made in that work to kind of understand it more and more. And Final Crisis was a joy to read because it's like getting back to that on like a like a light or a preparatory version. Because Invisibles goes to some like if you can't if you can't. <laughs> tolerate this you're not ready for invisibles yet <laughs> i love their doom patrol is fantastic if you haven't read that their animal man is kind of the gateway drug into the like the really like trippy stuff i would say do animal man do doom patrol do invisibles final crisis is them trying to take that completely into the mainstream with mainstream characters deifying these characters to the point of Superman basically becoming the god that protects the comic book itself. So it's a, it's a big concept that they're battling with in this. I think it delivers. I think it takes multiple read-throughs. I think it takes the context of religion and occultism and spirituality and the history of comics and what happens between the pages, off the pages. It's a hard read, though. It's not light. As I said, I even was exhausted by the last few 
you know, the two, the last two issues in this, it all moves so quickly at that point. It's almost like the singularity is happening. Like everything is rushing to this point of high drama. The worst thing that's ever going to happen is happening. Dark side wins. And then we get the release of complete peace and the DC universe ends and it's a complete happy ending. I think that might be why we all necessarily didn't like it because we are shown this lens looking through Superman, looking back at us that this Ragnarok, this never ending battle of the superheroes will never end. And that's kind of a warning. Well said, my friend. Well, listen, thank you very much for, I'm so glad that we were able to have you on the show, your first appearance, not your last, but uh, thank you so much for taking the time to, to, to embark on this reading project and this discussion. Uh, it's, it's really been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. It was not the easiest one to tackle, but I was here for it. <laughs> I, I had I had more fun, <laughs> more fun talking about it <laughs> than I did reading it. Good. And for anyone out there who has similarly mixed feelings or negative feelings, I suppose about Final Crisis, hopefully you derive more enjoyment from from the podcast, and hopefully that can uh, redeem it a little bit. And for those who love Final Crisis, right on. I hope you continue to enjoy it, and I hope to one day join you in the sun uh, in, in enjoying Final Crisis. I don't know that it would happen, unless, look, if we ever get those other Snyder movies and, and he uses elements of Final Crisis, that might prompt that might prompt another reread, and I don't know, maybe at that point I'll get something else out of it, having seen it brought to life in a different way. Maybe. We'll see. Anyway, thank you, Ralph. Thank you, audience. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you so much, man. My pleasure. Uh, All right, everyone, make sure you come back in one week for our next all-new episode. And until then, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. One action I hope you will take is to consider joining my Patreon community. My exclusive Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman rewatch podcast is available now at the $1 level. Many more rewards are available, too including a robust back catalog of bonus podcasts. All pledges come with a money-back guarantee. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show.